by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So uh, a couple people already asked me why I'm, why I'm dressed up, not in my normal jeans. I just didn't want it to be like a huge surprise when I get dressed up on Christmas. So I figured I'd give you a couple weeks <laughs> to get ready for it. Uh, so last week, we started this December series as, as Gary talked about the signs of the times. And we looked at the symbol for, uh, for coexist. I think uh, Isaac might have it. We looked at this, this, uh, this symbol, and, and uh, I think God did a lot of things last week as, as we started, but I, I thought about the message, and uh, I just let it kind of resonate with me, and uh, I watched as many of you guys responded to the message. I saw people posting things on social media, people were texting me, people were calling me, asking me all kinds of questions, and, and uh, even, even Zach and Megan, Zach, who's not here, they had their baby yesterday, keep them in prayer. He... Uh, he sent, me, he sent me a picture, like parked at a red light, and he saw it on the back of somebody's car. And he says, I've seen it three, four times today, and I never saw it before. And uh, this one thought just kept coming to my mind is, where do these signs of the times truly want to lead us, right? It's one thing to recognize the sign. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing about where is it trying to take us, right? As Christians, the first question is, can we even see the signs of the times? Are we, are we paying attention? Are we aware and then the next thing is, can we read the sign to see its trajectory, right? Where is it trying to take us? Where is it trying to lead us? Where will we end up if we go with that particular uh, flow of things? Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 is kind of the, the theme scripture for this series. It says, uh, speaking of Jesus, it says, He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. He's saying in the normal and the natural realm, you're able to look at the weather and you know if it's going to be good weather, bad weather, if it's going to be hot, if it's going to be raining. But in the spiritual realm, you have no idea what's going to be taking place later today, tomorrow, next week, next year. Discernment becomes such a critical portion of the signs of the times. Last week, as we looked at Coexist movement, we saw that where it was actually pointing us, where it was actually taking us was to this place of uh, pseudo-peace, pseudo-love, and a pseudo-religious experience, right? This Coexist says, if we can do this, you can have peace, but we know it's not real peace, it's not lasting peace. It says, if you do this, we can show and express love to one another, but if we believe that Christ is love, then we know that it's not a real love or a full love, it's a pseudo-love. And likewise, this pseudo-religious experience, the world's trying to say, hey, just, just go ahead, whatever floats your boat, 
Whatever makes you feel like you connected with a higher power, whatever makes you feel like uh, there's something above you, well then just coexist that way. But it's not real experience with our God. So today, as we get into uh, what I have to share with you guys, I want us to keep that in mind. You know, when we look at this sign, where is it actually trying to take us? What will the sign be for week number two here in our series? So I'm going to pray and then uh, have a little video to, to start off with this morning, all right? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you of all the places that we could be. We find ourselves in your house, seeking after you, Lord, desiring that you would minister to us, Lord. Don't let us leave out of this place the same way that we came in, Lord. I pray right now that you would prepare our hearts and minds to see this particular sign of the times, Lord God, to have ourselves open to you, shedding light on an area that has been, for many of us, very dark, Lord. We ask that you would help us, Lord. There's no chance for us, no hope for us, Lord, without you, Lord, without your spirit, without your wisdom, Lord. That's what we desire this morning. Have your way over each and every one of us. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. This was the best video of all the ones that I could find that, that talk about kind of where our, our series is going to go this morning into, um, into this area of human rights. Now, you guys know that a lot of times I'll talk to you about getting what I feel like is confirmation that we're on the right track or that it's the right message. I think I might need to go down just a little bit, uh, Isaac. Uh, so I'm going to be ministering around human rights or around that topic this morning. Uh, and I woke up and I want to share with you a picture that was on Facebook. I woke up, you know, opened up Facebook like many of us do. And, and this is the picture that was on my Facebook page. A day for unity. We believe that support for dignity and respect can make a difference in our communities. Join us in observing Human Rights Day and spreading hope for equality around the world. So my first thought was that it was just some type of advertisement because I hope a lot of you know that Facebook like, looks at what you search on Google right, and Amazon and then you know how these ads start popping up for you. You're like, man, I, I need a, I don't know. I need a new shower head, and all of a sudden, it's all over Facebook, and it's all over Amazon, that shower heads, right? So I thought, maybe that's all it was. Then the next thought that came into my mind was, even if it's only advertisement, it's still kind of crazy that just because I was searching this, that this comes up on my Facebook, I might just join or add and just be with this group going in a direction that I'm not really all that sure of, if I had not been doing the research that I was doing. Then I said, well, maybe I should look a little bit further into this. <clears throat> so I look up Human Rights Day, and look at this picture here. Today is International Human Rights Day <laughs> for the whole world. So I would say that, that uh, that's enough confirmation for me that we're in the right place <laughs> with our series, that we're in the right place with this message. You might want to take notes. You might want to be paying attention. I think God might have some things to say. Amen. So, this next picture is the Human Rights Campaign logo, and it's our sign of the time for this week, week number two. How many of you have, have seen this picture? Raise your hand. Have you seen it on, on the back of a car, on a bumper sticker? Anybody? I guarantee you when you leave out of here today, those of you that did not raise your hand that you've never seen this, you will see it all over the place. You'll see it on businesses. You'll see it on cars. You'll see it all over the place. You'll see it on the internet. You'll see it on Facebook. See it on Twitter. Um, and I think we'll know a little bit more about it by the time we get out of here today. So I've been in what I can best describe as agony and feelings of being overwhelmed uh, in preparation for today's message. Um, in some ways, in many ways, I've come up with more questions than I have answers. 
And I've definitely had moments where I've realized and even been a little bit intimidated by the size and the structure of this particular uh, movement, this particular sign of the times. So I'd say that the coexist movement that we talked about last week is more like a local uh, grassroots militia, right, that is uh, trying to get something accomplished, but realistically, it doesn't have a lot of structure. It doesn't have a lot of umph or a lot of power behind it, but it is, it is clear, like we saw last week, what they're trying to accomplish. This human rights campaign, uh, represented here by this sticker, is more like a large, powerful, sovereign nation with a military that's trained and with economic resources to fund this movement. <clears throat> this, this movement is uh, the HRC, Human Rights Campaign. It's headquartered in Washington, D.C. We know that that's where our government, right, uh, where, uh, uh, where our laws are made, where the battles for some of these laws are being fought. They are supported by famous people, many stars. They're very, very wealthy. Uh, they have certain presidents and ex-presidents who have supported this particular cause and particular movement. And if you look on their website, they have over 1.5, one and a half million members here in America. So let me say this, this is not an attempt, this message is not an attempt to discredit or drag the HRC through the mud. It's really not even to focus on them as an organization. It's about understanding what this symbol and sign of the times means for us as believers and help us discern where it's trying to actually take us. Right? So this is a quote directly from their website. It says, the Human Rights Campaign logo is one of the most recognizable symbols of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. It has become synonymous with the fight for equal rights for LGBTQ Americans. We build support for LGBTQ people among families and friends, coworkers and employers, pastors and parishioners, doctors and teachers, neighbors and the general public. Through the following programs and projects, we are enhancing the lived experiences of LGBTQ people and their families as we change hearts and minds across America and around the globe. So that's the picture that you should see when you see this particular image or sign of the times. I think it's striking that at the end of their statement it says that their goal is to change the hearts and minds of people, right? So I think these are the two main issues as we get into it, confusion and inclusion. Say confusion. confusion. Say inclusion. inclusion. So. I think that many of us are confused as to what this movement is really focused on, even though when you look at it and you hear what they say on their website, it's about LGBTQ communities, right? But the name human rights itself includes so many other issues of justice and equality, right? Human rights, as you saw in the first video, there's a whole lot of human rights that we need and that we have to fight for. Somebody say amen. Racial equality, equality of the sexes, children's rights, the rights of the elderly, and any other justice and equality issue uh, that you can think of. This is a tactic, I think, is, is uh, a tactic of the enemy that he does in all types of areas of our life, right? He might say, you might say, I'm all down for all of those different types of justice and, and uh, human rights, but we're just going to sneak a couple others in that you may not be aware of, this inclusion, what's been included, right? Last week when we looked at coexist, the enemy said, you know, 
We need these religions. Who are you to think that there's no higher power? And then you kind of step back and say, you know what? You're probably right. I should probably think that there's a higher power. And then he has this inclusionary statement where he says, and on top of that, who are you to think that you happen to have the right higher power? You should probably not say anything at all and just let people coexist. Right? Confusion and inclusion. And instead of us saying, listen, I'm a child of God, I'm created in the image of God, I'm filled with the spirit of God, and I know the truth, right? We feel compelled to, to go another direction or to accept things that we don't necessarily believe. Galatians 5, 7 says this, you ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? We've talked about this in our Bible study. We've talked about it in the, in the church. When the Bible talks about leaven and a little bit of leaven, it says if there's something included within something that's unholy or not right or ungodly included in all these godly things that you have, it will leaven the whole lump. It will have an impact and effect on all these other things. The leaven in their views on these issues leavens the whole lump of the other issues that we may agree upon. When you look at human rights, we may agree on 99% of what that means and why we need those things. And if there's 1% that maybe we don't agree on, then we can't necessarily support this sticker. We can't necessarily have it on our car. We can't necessarily uh, buy into something like this. So similarly to last week, it's not an issue of disagreeing with respect for one another's views, right? It's, it's more of a demand to embrace the values and interpretations of what they say freedom is, justice is, liberty is, right, for these particular communities. So before we go any further, I want to define what these letters actually mean. LGBTQ, again, from the website. L is for lesbian, a woman who is attracted to other women. G is for gay, a man who is attracted to other men. B is for bisexual, an individual who is attracted to both genders. T is for transgender. It says an umbrella term that seeks to incorporate individuals who gender, whose gender identities do not match their biological sex. For example, somebody who is born male-bodied and identifies as a woman. The term trans includes those who are pre- or post-surgery and those who do not wish to undertake surgery to alter their sex. A distinction is posed between sex, as in male and female, which is, a biological, which is biologically given at birth, and gender, which is man or woman, uh, which is a sociological and psychological construction concerned with the characteristics that are not biological. And then the last one is, is Q, which is for queer, which says individuals who experience fluidity in their experience of sexuality or gender and therefore do not identify strictly as LGB or T. The term queer can also include those who do not identify as either gender. So as you can tell already this morning, strap on your seatbelts. <laughs> As I said, I'm going to focus on the main issue uh, with this particular sticker, what it represents, and the viewpoints on the LGBTQ community, not just human rights as a whole, which we may want to embrace, right? Um, as it relates to manhood, womanhood, and marriage. I read a book on this uh, this week, which was very, very helpful to me. I think... Um, our ability to know the word of God, our ability to actually study and research is imperative in all areas of life, but especially this, this is a huge sign of the times that we live in and we need to educate ourselves. I think speaking from ignorance is, is unwise, depending on what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish. All right? So 
This is probably not going to be the most popular message for those in the world, but I think many of us in the church are also going to be challenged by this message this morning. <clears throat> and uh, I'll be honest, I hesitated a few times, but again, it's National Human Rights Day. God gave me enough confirmation to say, tell everybody just to deal with it. So before I go any further into this very controversial area, I'd like to say that God gave me peace about it at the same time with one simple statement. Um, uh, when it comes to the movement and the strength of this movement, the ground that they've already taken. How many of you have been in a place in your life where you didn't realize that ground was necessarily being taken from, t from you until it was already gone? Like certain things you had lost, certain things that, that you wanted to hold on to that were valuable to you. You look up and it's like, man, I've lost some things. Uh, not that this is... Um, similar in an individual case, but this movement is full go. If you're just becoming aware of it and you're just seeing the sticker for the first time and you're just going to get engaged and involved in what's going on in the world that you live in, don't think that it's all starting at the same time. This movement has some momentum already. But God said to me, do not be afraid. Don't forget that I'm God. He gave me some peace. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. Yes, I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as non-existent, as a non-existent thing. Right? So we don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be um, <clears throat> scared about how it's going to end. Uh, many of us have, have heard it said for us as Christians, like, we know how the story ends. Amen. God wins. Somebody say amen. 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 So I'm going to give you the first controversial statement of the day. Uh, it's this. I am all for the rights of the LGBTQ community. community. So let me say it again. I personally... I'm all for the rights of the LGBTQ community. When I look at all the signs of the times that we live in, I don't believe that we live in a world or a nation that will put God and his word first and govern that way, which would be my first wish. I don't think we live in that world. And I don't think America is a nation that says we are going to put God first. We are going to put his word first. We are going to govern that way. We are going to legislate that way. We are going to police that way. We are going to do health care that way. We don't live in that world. And we don't live in that nation, in my opinion. So since that's not a reality, and because I know that even when Jesus returns, the Bible says that he's going to come, he's going to reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And the Bible says that even when he's here, Sin is still going to rule and reign in the lives of men and women all over this planet. Amen. So then I ask myself, well, then what next? What do we do? What's the answer to some of these issues and some of these questions? I think what's next is a society where Christians take the responsibility to protect and to teach our families, to prepare them for the reality of the times that we live in. Do not depend on somebody else to do that for you. Don't depend on me as the pastor to do that. Don't depend on these teachers to do that for your kids. If you are a Christian, it is your responsibility to prepare yourself, to teach yourself, to teach your children that this is the world that you actually live in. And if you expected somebody else to do those things for you, you are mistaken. Right. So, with that being said, I think that if we have a society that values the safety and fair treatment of all of its citizens, then we as Christians have the best opportunity to evangelize and share the truth about hope. Yes. Amen. That's how I look at it. 
Why would I want this particular community of people or any particular community of people to be treated unfairly or poorly or without justice? The more justice we have and fair treatment that we have for all of our people, the better of an opportunity is for me as a Christian to be able to speak to them about hope and about, jo- uh, about Christ and about salvation, about change and about transformation. So I'm for their rights, just like I'm for the rights of all other groups. America is not, an, uh, as a nation, doesn't stand for God and on his word when it comes to how we govern and how we treat all of our citizens. I'm not saying that we don't have national pride. I'm not saying that we don't have one of the most amazing militaries on the planet. I'm not saying that we don't have unparalleled safety and security. I've been some places in the world. I've been to third world countries. I've been to places where you get off, you get off of the plane and you're like, man, if something happens to me, nobody will ever find out. Like there won't be an investigation or anything. Been to Kenya, been to Egypt. When Mary and I went to Egypt, we got off the plane. We were supposed to be there at 6 o'clock. We didn't get there till midnight. We were supposed to be with the uh, transfer from the hotel. The hotel uh, transport wasn't running anymore. Everybody in the, in, the, in the airport looked like they were Muslim and following us around the airport. And I was scared, like literally scared. But you know when you're scared, but you're trying to be tough for your wife? <laughs> so I'm terrified. But I'm like, oh, babe, it's going to be fine. Come on, let's go. And I'm just like eyeing everybody. Then we get into a taxi, and I'm usually a good planner, so I thought that the airport we flew into and the hotel we got was going to be about 15 minutes. We were driving at midnight with a taxi driver that I cannot understand for an hour and 15 minutes. The, the terror that I was experiencing, right? And I was thinking to myself, like, dang, what am I going to do? And I think I even told her. If I didn't, I was definitely there. I said, listen, if I open my door, you open your door. We jump and we run. That's what we do. Right? So like I had an escape plan. So when I say some of the things that I say, don't think that I'm ignorant to what it means to be an American. There's no place like home. (laughs) There's no place like being a citizen of this particular country. However, let's not at the same time be naive. When's the last time you heard any government official, any president, anybody stand up and say, we are a Christian nation who stands on the word of God. We believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that's how we are going to live as a country. You haven't heard it, and you won't hear it. If you go to Israel, what do they say? We are the people of God, and we serve God. It's God who provides for us and protects us and gives us this land. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You go to a Muslim country, you know what they're going to say? We are a Muslim country. You are not allowed to be here if you're not. And if you are here and you're not, do not make the mistake of trying to worship some other God while you're here on this soil. Isn't it interesting that that's not the case here? So let's not be fooled. Somebody say amen. It puts more of a burden on you as a believer to know what your responsibilities are. So I choose not to be disillusioned or pretend pretend to believe that we are fighting for marriage and godliness on a national level, right? As, As a country to seek to honor the Lord. The fight is for Christians who understand that their citizenship is in heaven, they happen to live in America, and they need to fight for these things with those who they also live with here in America who may be disillusioned. Um, ignorant to what God says or why he says some of the things that he says. But here's the good news. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what your pastor says. All that matters is what God says. Whatever he says is going to be the truth and it's going to work out the way that he says that it's going to work out. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to cry about it. We don't have to be sad about it. We just focus our eyes upon him. 
Another statement, I do not want to see LGBTQ people beaten, spit on, imprisoned, discriminated against in our country or anywhere else in the world. I don't agree with their movement. I, don't believe, I believe that, it's, uh, that it is sin, but I also believe that they're dead in their sin, just like I used to be dead in my sin, and just like there's a whole bunch of other people that I know that are dead in their sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Speaking of the Lord, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Just as the others, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This scripture says that don't be pointing the finger at people for things that you used to do and for many of us may still be doing. Remember who God is and what he brought you out of. Right? So we like to look at certain people, certain sins, certain communities, and we have this feeling of disgust, which is actually uh, pride saying that our sins somehow are not as bad as theirs. I wish we would tell the truth about the things that we were involved in and the way that we used to think and the places we used to go and the things that we used to do and the people that we used to uh, turn out. They weren't doing those things until they started running with us. But we could sit in churches and talk about this particular community as if they are, they are lepers. God says, don't forget where you came from and don't forget what I brought you out of. Amen. So on to the, the three things that I want you to, to realize and, and hear this morning. The first, number one, human rights, manhood, womanhood, and marriage are established by God. If you have that framework, then again, when these things come at us and when we see these things and when we're trying to interpret things and when we're trying to talk to people, you'll have a foundation. Human rights, manhood, womanhood, and marriage are established by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground breathed, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havala where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Uh, Bedelium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is, is Hydekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend to it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave the names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. 
and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God took, had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." Stop there, verse 25. So here's what it really comes down to. Do you believe the word of God? Because if it's just a book and if it's just some guidelines and if it's just a possibility, well, then I can understand how we can end up in a whole bunch of different places. But if you believe the word of God, it says this is God's establishment for what it means to be a man. This is what God has established for what it means to be a woman. And this is what God has established for what it means to be married. In the second chapter of the Bible, you don't have to go very far to get it. God created the world. God created man and gave us dominion over everything. And then God created woman from man. It says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's saying that, that she was taken from him and then brought back to him. This is the story. And that's the end of the story. This story is affirmed throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the rest of Scripture. Many of us have been in places in our lives where we would like that not to be the truth. <laughs> We've been in places in our life where we don't really care for that to be how we live our lives. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Somebody say amen. amen. When you're young and you want to run around with everybody and anybody, this doesn't appeal to you very much. When you are in a marriage that is struggling and has some things that are significant challenges to overcome, this isn't a very convenient truth. But it's still the truth. It's affirmed throughout the rest of Scripture. And what else is affirmed throughout the rest of Scripture is how far short we fall of it and why we fall short of it. That's for heterosexual people. That's for homosexual people. We fall short of it through infidelity. We fall short of it in our marriages without infidelity. We fall short of it in singlehood in the way that we behave. But God says this is it. There's not alternatives. There's not other ways. There's not other options. There's no caveats for what you're going through or where you live or how you feel or who did what. There's no other caveats. Relationships are between men and women, and physical relationships are between married men and women. Anything short of that is sin. It makes it hard to live, but it's not hard to understand. Either you believe the word or we don't. Some say this, oh, that's just an Old Testament kind of guideline or law or boundary, and things are different now. And Jesus came and he, he said, forget about the law. You have grace now. You're saved by grace, and, and you can do things that you couldn't do before. Let's see what the New Testament says. Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. 
His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man and his wife, it's better not to even get married. <laughs> but he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been themselves, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. So Jesus sets the bar high for what it means to be a man, a woman, and what it means to be married. And the people who are the disciples who are following are like, hey, we can't do that. Men are crazy and women are crazy. What do you mean we can't get divorced? What do you mean we can't shop around? What do you mean we can't just not be committed but be in relationship with one another? Jesus says, no, from the beginning, that's not how it works. Because of who you are and how far you've fallen and because of the way that you treat each other, Moses permitted some things, but that is not the truth and that is not the way. They say, why should we even get married? <laughs> then he starts talking about what it means to be a eunuch, about celibacy. I'll get into that a little bit later. But after this, I think it's important as, as we worshiped, Gary talked about the kids. We pray over the kids every time they leave. I think it's interesting in this portion of scripture, when Jesus is talking about this, the very next thing he talks about is these kids. Let me read it to you quickly. Just three verses. Matthew 19, 13. He says, then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For, such, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So he talks about manhood. He talks about womanhood. He talks about marriage. He talks about commitment. Even late in another scripture, he says, right here he says, if you divorce for anything other than sexual immorality, you're wrong and it's adultery. In another place, he says, I'm not telling you that even with, with sexual immorality, you're supposed to divorce. He says, you guys are unfaithful to me, and I never divorce you. I never leave you. He says, even when you're unfaithful, I remain faithful. Anyway, with these kids here, then he starts saying, okay, now that we've talked about the, the manhood, the womanhood, and the marriage, let me, let me focus on the kids. Let them come to me. Let them be with me. Let, me. let me pray with them. Don't say that they're too young to learn. Our kids don't go upstairs and watch movies. They go upstairs and learn. Our kids don't say that, hey, that's enough worship. I didn't really want to sing. I want to sit down now. You know the first thing they do when they leave here? Instead of going to the, the different classrooms, they go into one classroom and they worship and pray all together again. In May, my family went up to uh, Ayana's college graduation, and uh, it was just a big day. Yeah, we see you back there, girl. Just a big day for my family, a big day for, for her family, just the things that the family's been through and, and to watch her just grow as a young woman and, and to be able to graduate school. And at the very end of us being there for a few days, we get ready to leave and I, I say, look, it's a long drive. Let me run in and get some Chinese food real quick, all right? So I run into this, this little restaurant and I order the food and as I'm sitting down, you know, my eye just keeps going to this family, keeps going to this family. And uh, I realize that they had a little boy that, honestly could not be any older than three, but he was dressed like a little girl, like fully dressed like a little girl. And as I'm listening, they, they given him a girl name and are treating him like a little girl, but he had like a shaved head. It was almost like they wanted you to know that it was a boy, but that they were treating him as a little girl. And it just really messed me up. I really struggled with it. Like the whole drive home, I was just messed up. And, and part of it was, um, just to see it. The other part was like, why didn't I say something? Why didn't I do something? And then the third part, like I told you guys earlier, like we just can't speak in ignorance. If you don't have something wise, if you don't have something biblical, if you don't have something from God and the spirit of God, it's better to keep your mouth shut. 
So it was convicting to be like, well, you're ignorant, so what can you really say other than just being upset about it, right? This HRC human rights campaign, when I first went to the website, the very first video on their website is a lady, and she comes on and she says, uh, my first grade son is making the transition to become a girl. And because that's happening, we were gonna do a book reading for his class, or all the first graders, and this book is called something about jazz, jazzy something, and the idea is this book is how to change your gender. And she wanted to read this at the school and read it for all of the kids that are in first grade. And it got shut down by the school, so they decided that they would do a public reading at the library, and in this town, over 600 people and families and kids showed up at the library to have this book reading done for this girl, for this little boy that was gonna be transitioning at first grade to become a girl. The name of the city that they're from, interestingly enough, is Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. Mount Horeb is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. I think what's happening to the kids is important. It's a sign of the times. God's talking about manhood, womanhood, marriage, and the very next thing he says is don't keep these kids from me. Bring them to me, let them be with me, let me pray with them, and then you fast forward to where we are today in the signs of the times, like the people are supposed to be protecting the kids, encouraging them, strengthening them, making them secure in their identity, are doing the actual direct opposite. But we're too busy thinking about what we got going on, because we're frustrated with our boss. Because we don't make enough money. We don't live where we want to live. We don't own our home or our car, whatever it is. And it's like, are we really seeing the signs of the times? God's saying, Jesus is saying, look, you can look outside and see the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times that you live in? And you're going to remain ignorant? And then at the same time that this is happening, not only is it like, it's not as if it's just this behind the scenes thing that's going on. It's like, and we want you to know that you're wrong. We want you to accept that how you see things and how you view things, whether you speak up about them or not, you're wrong. You, have, you don't have real love. You don't have real care. We got we to gotta wake up. They say, don't you think kids should be protected and have rights? We all do. I was at a meeting yesterday, and we are talking about how to protect kids and how to make sure we have the right policies in place. And I'm talking to other pastors, other leaders, and saying, hey, look, we got cameras in our classrooms. We do background checks. We're talking about all those things. So we agree on human rights. We agree on the safety of kids. So when they come and say, well, don't you think the kids have rights? And don't you think they should be safe? Yes, of course I do. And then the, the fine print says, oh, and by the way, they should be able to choose their gender too. Why well, didn't sign up for that? No, it's, it's confusion and inclusion. And ignorance on our part many times. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Say amen. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's, remember, I talked about this, I think, on a, a couple Wednesdays ago. I called it Opposite World. And I talked about how that's how it is for me sometimes when I talk to people. This is another level of that where it's like the very things that should be considered evil are being called good. And the very things that should be considered good are actually being called evil. It's not even like there's a neutral. So here's the question. This so-called movement for equality and unity is actually pointing us in a direction of separation and division from Christ. It's a movement uh, 
that again, it appears to be rooted in love and it appears to be rooted in justice. But if Jesus is love and Jesus is justice, how can this movement that's in direct contradiction to him and his word, how can it be justice and how can it be love? Here's the answer. It can't be. It cannot be. You got to make up your mind. Either Jesus is love and Jesus is justice or he's not. And if he is, anything that's uh, contrary to him and his word cannot be justice and it cannot be love. It can only be pseudo-justice and pseudo-love. Number one, God determines and God establishes manhood, womanhood, marriage. Number two is about failure versus fatality. The failings of heterosexual marriages is often used as justification for the possibility of a successful homosexual relationship or marriage. When people look and say, well, look, you guys are jacked up too. You don't stay together. Your divorce rate's just as high as anybody else's, Christian and non-Christian. Infidelity is crazy. Families are destroyed. What's so good about who you are and what you do and what you believe if it doesn't produce anything that lasts? I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> but here's the thing. To fail within the will of God will still result in eternal life. But to succeed outside the will of God will always result in fatality and eternal death. I'll say that again. You can fail within the will of God and still receive eternal life. But if you succeed outside of the will of God, it always ends in death. It always ends fatally. No matter how good it looks, it ends fatally. On Wednesday night, we talked about the power of fear, the power of condemnation. We looked at the Roman soldiers at the foot of the Lord's cross. The earth shakes violently. They're afraid. Jesus, Jesus yields up his spirit. They're condemned and they're afraid and they know it, right? So what we talked about on Wednesday night was like, we're afraid to tell people the truth oftentimes because of how we live and things that are still alive in our life that we know shouldn't be alive in our life. <clears throat> we talked about telling people what their condition is apart from Christ and not wavering because of our personal struggles or insufficiencies. All right? You are saved because of your status in Christ. It not, has nothing to do with how you behave. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has nothing to do with how many things have changed about you. Either you are wrapped up in Christ, you are hidden in Christ, you are covered by his blood, and that's what makes you saved, or you are outside of Christ, and you are not covered by his blood, and you are unsaved, right? So when it comes to talking to people about condemnation and sin and what we're doing, it has nothing to do with how you look and how good you are. All of us are jacked up still. Somebody say amen. amen. So here's what it comes down to. In your walk with God, you can fail. How many of you have failed? How many of you have stumbled? You can fail. You can trip up. You can stumble. You can have struggles. You can have all those things and still inherit eternal life. <clears throat> we cannot openly rebel against the will of God or the word of God in any area of our lives and expect to have a favorable outcome. When I fail... I say, Lord, I know I've failed. I know that that's sin. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that it's not your will, and I need help. Help me. Change me. Give me some strength. Send some people to encourage me. Send some people to convict me. Send some people to call me out. Like, whatever you got to do, Lord, help me. That is not open and deliberate rebellion against God or his word. It's failing within his will. 
Open rebellion against his word is like, Lord, I know what your word says about what my physical relationships would be, should be with people because I'm not married, but I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do anyway. That's open rebellion. Lord, I know what your word says about you run the list, lying, stealing, stealing, cheating, whatever it is, but I'm going to openly rebel against you. Do not accept or expect a favorable outcome from that. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We have to cast down anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have to know what God says in order to cast it down, but... When you have a thought, when you have something in your life that's contrary to the word of God, do you fight against it? Do you cast it down? Do you say, I need to bring this into the obedience of Christ? Our thoughts and our actions have to come into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. It's hard. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> I told you, strap in. But isn't it so easy to look at the LGBT community and say, oh my God. What about us this morning? I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 19. And this is one of the scriptures that often is referred to with this particular community. It says, Two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. They called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came into you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot came or excuse me, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let, them, please let me bring them out to you and you may do with them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them. And they shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became very weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who he had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. 
And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. It's not a, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have, favor, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there. For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he had overthrown the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went, out, or excuse me, went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and, his son, or he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father." So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and did not know. Lot failed when he went to live in Sodom. Him and Abram came out of, out of their land, and he had a choice of where to live, and he failed when he chose uh, Sodom. Lot failed when he offered his daughters to the men of the city. What a failure. Somebody say amen. Imagine us, like we talked about. We're sitting here, we're praying over these kids, we're, we're identifying where they're challenged, we're, we're talking about how the world comes against them and, and challenges even their identity, restrooms that, that don't say men or women on them. Like, there's a lot of challenges. And here's Lot, who's supposed to be a man of God, and he says, I've got two virgin daughters, take them. The whole community is outside his house. That's a failure. He failed when he let his wife be destroyed. We're fleeing for our lives, and he's talking about what city he wants to go to instead of just being thankful that he's being saved, number one. Then number two, as they're fleeing, he's not protecting his wife like he's supposed to. Same problem with Adam when she ate the fruit. Adam should have been there. God didn't tell Eve not to eat of the, of the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam, which means Adam wasn't doing his job when Eve was alone and ate of it. We like to look, look at, at Lot's wife and say, look, she turned back and she turned to a pillar of salt. Well, where was Lot? <laughs> he failed. He failed when he allowed his daughters to get him drunk and then sleep with him and them get pregnant. He was a failure in many, many ways, significantly. He should have been showing them who they were as his daughters and what their value was and what their worth was. He failed in so many ways, and if you compare his life to Abraham's, Abraham failed in some ways too, but you have these two drastically different stories. And here's why. 
Both of them got saved. If you read the story, they got saved when they came out of their land. God calls Abraham. He says, leave your land, leave your people. I'm going to take you somewhere. And then as he's leaving, Lot's like, hey, I want to go with you. So that's like this sign or this, this picture of being saved. You leave your old life behind and you start this new life. The difference is that Abraham surrendered to God and Lot never did. We can be saved without surrendering. Somebody say amen. amen. We can ask God, save me, forgive me for my sin, but not surrender our actual life and our behavior and our decisions unto God. That's the difference between Lot and Abraham. And you look at what Lot lost because he never surrendered. He lost everything. He remained saved. He didn't die eternally, found heaven, but he lost his wife. He lost his daughters. He lost his home. He lost everything. He doesn't have anything to show for his salvation. Versus Abraham. It's a different story. But here's the thing. Neither of their failures ended in death and fatality, just in failure. How do we know? Abraham, his failure led to, one of his failures led to uh, another woman getting pregnant because he stepped outside of the will of God for manhood, womanhood, and marriage. And that son's name was Ishmael. He's the father of the Muslim religion, right? Lot's two daughters that had these two children, the Ammonites and the Moabites, are two of the greatest enemies of Israel, if you read through the whole Bible, because your failures oftentimes come back to haunt you. But it's not damning to hell. Rebellion is eternally fatal. It's confirmed. Let me read 2 Peter chapter 2. You would think that this failure of a man could not be considered saved, but listen to what 2 Peter 2 says. Verse 1, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there, were, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous life. Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from the day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous and self-willed. Wow. Righteous Lot? <laughs> did the story I read a minute ago would you call him righteous lot you know why because we don't understand righteousness righteousness is to be covered by the blood of Jesus again it's not about you it's not about your behavior he walked away from his whole life and he gave his life to God he walked away from his old life excuse me and gave his life to God and that was what established him as a man of faith and made him righteous in the sight of God just like Abraham It says that he, he was delivered from everything that happened. The others were consumed and he was delivered. Am I saying that you don't need to behave well? Of course I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to get a better idea and understanding of what it really means to be saved. Yeah. <clears throat> it's about being in Christ who justifies us, not about being perfect or living perfect. 
once you understand about being in Christ, you'll be a little bit more concerned with how you live because you'll realize that I'm in Christ and I'm saved, but man, my daughters could be like Lot's daughters. My wife could be like Lot's wife. What I'm trying to build here and what God has blessed me with can be like everything that Lot lost. It matters how we live. Salvation matters most, though. <clears throat> so I'm going to close with this. You get all that information, we've got to have an answer. <laughs> like, what do we do? How do we look at the LGBTQ community? What decision do we make and why do we make it? Number three, the last one, briefly, is denial and deliverance. Denial and deliverance. Earlier I said that Jesus said something about celibacy that was very important in Matthew chapter 19. It was verse 10. His disciples said to him, if this is the case of the man and his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Eunuchs are men who have been castrated. That's what it means to be a, a eunuch when you read the Bible. Their male parts have been removed, physically removed. This would often happen for servants of a king so that the men who would serve in the house and serve around his wife or his concubines, right, would not have this opportunity to enter into these kind of physical relationships, right? So is Jesus talking about physical castration here? I don't think so. He says some are born this way, others are made this way by men, and others have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He's saying, look, this idea of celibacy, this idea of not being able to do some of the things that we want to do, he says some people are born that way, where they can control themselves, where they can make these right decisions. He says some people are made this way by men because they're put in positions, maybe they're imprisoned, right? Maybe like certain faiths where they say, we're going to make you a man that is not allowed to be married, even though that's not what the Bible says. You know the Catholic faith? Um, I'm just going to bring in everybody today. You know, the Catholic faith says that the father of their faith is Peter, and Peter was married, yet the Catholic priest cannot be married. And then you wonder why we're having so many instances of sexual molestation, is when you try to make somebody something that they're not and they don't have a gift for, that's why Jesus says he can, he can accept it, accept it. He who has been called to this and has this gift, walk in it. It's another message for another day. This is about spiritual celibacy more than it's about the fact of being physically castrated to become a, a eunuch. It's about choosing not to do what we want to do or act upon how we feel by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to honor Jesus. Amen. He's saying, listen, you have to choose. Yes, you want to do something, and yes, physically you are capable of doing it, but you need to choose not to do it, and it's not an easy choice for any of us, which means you need what? The power of the Holy Spirit to help you. I remember what it was like before I got saved and how many times I tried to stop doing certain things and stop behaving a certain way. And not once was I ever successful in the long term. A month here, six months there, stop getting high and stop getting loaded for like a couple of weeks, a couple of months at the most. And then right back where I started, you know why? Because no matter how hard you try to do something on your own, it will not last. You need the Holy Spirit, the power of God to help you and to truly deliver you. This is true for all of us in some area of our walk with God. You cannot just look at the LGBTQ community. You cannot just look at whatever it is, 
that you are disgusted with or that you disagree with, all of us have something in our life where we have to say, even though I can, I'm going to choose not to. And I'm going to choose not to by imploring and by asking and praying for the Spirit of God to empower me not to. To deny the reality of same-sex attraction or homosexuality or the fact that there's a real desire to change gender in some people would be unwise. I think a lot of Christians today just say, that's not real. It's just a, it's just a, a desire. It's just, it's just your thought. It's not real. You weren't born that way. You don't really feel that way. Just change your mind. That's ignorant. It's a real desire. It's a real epidemic. Amen. Look at the statistics. Read a book. It's not make-believe. It's unwise to pretend as if it is because then you cannot minister and you cannot care and you cannot be used by God to affect change. We can discuss why we think these things exist. We can, ex- we can discuss how we think it's gotten to where it is, right? We act like it's so bad. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's pretty bad. It's always been this way. Why? Because we are fallen men and women. What we cannot do is deny that it's a reality and deny that it's one of the signs of the times that we live in. To do that is foolish. So here's the answer. It's amazing that such a deep and complicated issue truly comes down for me to such a simple response. Everything has to come under the rule and reign of Christ, including our sexuality. Period. He's Jesus. He's God. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter how far it's gone. It doesn't matter where it started or how deep it runs. I think all of us can understand that sexual drive and sexual um, uh, temptation is strong. Right? It's a gift from God. He's still God. It has to come under submission unto him. If we can't do that, if we can't see that, if we can't pray for that, then there really is no hope for us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our preference is. If it doesn't come into agreement with what God says about manhood, womanhood, and marriage, it has to be denied. We have to take up our cross. We have to carry that burden just like Jesus took up his cross. If you've been delivered, praise God. If you haven't, carry your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ. Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Listen to just that statement. Peter left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus is telling him, this is my will. I have to go to the cross. I have to die. Peter comes contrary to that, even with a good heart. He comes contrary to that and says, I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you be crucified. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. His own disciple who left everything to follow him, he calls him Satan. You know why? Because anything that exalts itself above God or against the will of God is satanic. He says, I don't care that you left everything. I don't care that you're going to follow me. I don't care about any of that. Either you do what, what I'm doing and what I say, and you bring what you think into submission under that, Amen. or you can't be my disciple. Amen. That doesn't just apply to Peter. It applies to the LGBTQ community. It doesn't just apply to them. It applies to me and my struggles. And it doesn't just apply to me and mine. It applies to you and yours. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
with this community, it's a very, very simple answer, but it's just so wrapped up in, in identity and so wrapped up in emotion and so wrapped up in what is a significant challenge for them, but it's still the same. You gotta lay it down for Jesus. If you lose your life, if you lose your identity, if you lose what you believe and take up what God tells you, you'll find real life, real identity, real hope, real love, real change, real transformation. And we can't waver on that. No matter how much we care for people, no matter how much we love people, we cannot waver on the word of God. And it applies to all of us. In addition to this denial that I believe we all are called to to walk in, I also believe in deliverance. Last statement I'm going to make, we have to be sensitive to the fact that people with, who struggle within this LGBTQ community, they do not see it as sin. And they do not see it as something that they need to be delivered from. So let me say that again. If you come to somebody and say, you're in sin and you need to be delivered, that's like telling a black person, you need to be delivered from that black skin. Like, no, this isn't something I can be delivered from. This is me. This doesn't come off. This is inside and outside. So don't be ignorant when you're praying for or talking to somebody in this community as if it's like the rest of us. Like when we know that we're an alcoholic, we know that that's wrong and that we need to be delivered from it even if we don't want to be. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's not the same with this particular community. So be wise. They do not believe that it's sin. They do not believe that it's something that they need to be delivered from. They believe that we are ignorant and that we need to be delivered and that we need to experience love and understanding. However, I'm a Christian. And I know it's sin. And I know it's something that they can be delivered from. This is what it says here. I always, just so you know, I always have hope for deliverance and victory over sin. It doesn't matter who's going through. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. That's what it ultimately means to be a Christian. You can look at the worst of situations and like, man, I just have hope that you can be delivered. I have hope that you can be victorious over that. Even if you're not delivered, you know the difference, right? Like, to be delivered is that it's been removed from you. I got high every day for probably about 10 or 11 years, and literally the night that I gave my life to Jesus, I was high that night and never got high again because I got delivered. However, there are other things in my life that it's been an everyday battle for victory. There wasn't deliverance. There was like, hey, in your weakness, I'm strong, so let's go fight. That's the difference between victory over sin and and being delivered. I believe in both as a Christian. If you don't, what are you doing? (laughs) Either we fake it like we've been delivered from everything, but we haven't, which means if you're spending your time faking it, you can't be fighting, (laughs) which means you're losing. Another message for another day. Message. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What that tells me is the ones that I haven't been delivered from that I'm still fighting for victory in, that it might be tomorrow or it might be the day that I die and go to heaven, but I will be victorious, completely victorious, completely delivered. So just like it's true for many of us that their sins were delivered from and others that we continue to fight for victory over, the same is true for those who come to God from the LGBTQ community. They should be coming to church. They should be loved when they get here. They should be prayed for the whole time. They should not be ostracized. They should not be seen as special sinners. They should be seen as people who we pray come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. They become in Christ, which means they're saved, right? 
and that God who begins that good work in their life will bring it to completion. I told you guys the last couple of weeks about a friend of mine and how it just shocked me that he told me, you know, I can never be a Christian because I don't hate gay people and I don't believe there's anything wrong with having a drink from time to time. And it just made me so angry because I was like, I don't believe that either. But the fact that you believe that I believe that makes me mad. But it's my own fault because that means I'm not expressing my faith clearly. It means that I'm not living my faith in a way that makes it clear what I really believe. I've counseled couples in this community. I've seen God deliver couples from this community. I've seen God deliver one of the two of couples from this community. This church will always be open to people from this community because it's open to all sinners. However, however, I encourage you guys, you better start praying now because it ain't the most comfortable thing. And you could say, yes, amen, praise God, and clap. But it's another thing when I'm like, hey, why don't you be the one to reach out? Why don't you be the one to invite over? Why don't you be the one to, to engage in Bible study or one of the church courses? Oh, no, that's pastor's job, right? He's the one that said that they can come. <laughs> Everybody can come here. I've had alcoholics cuss me out while I'm preaching in this church. Like, that's what church is supposed to be. If your church is, like, super sterile, it's the wrong church. I'm not trying to get saved people more saved. I'm trying to find the lost that are in the darkest and depths of darkness and bring them to the light. We cannot do that from a place of ignorance, church. Read a book. Get online and look up some of the research. Take one day off of Netflix binging. <laughs> so I'm going to close with this. A long list of the sins that separate us from God, and we're called to tell people about Jesus, how he saved us from all the sins and all the consequences of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know what unrighteousness is now, right? Righteousness is to be covered by the blood of God. Unrighteousness is not to be covered by his blood. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He makes it so clear. You got to be saved and washed by the blood of Jesus. And it's not just one sin that's going to cause you to be damned and experience eternal fatality and eternal death. There's a multitude of them. Any of them can get us. Somebody say amen. So I'm going to show you guys a short video. After the video, you are released, but we're going to worship and we're going to pray for anybody who wants prayer. And, and here's kind of the call that I'm going to put out now as I close. Um, the prayer is for those that, that, that uh, just feel like we need just to become a little bit more aware of the major issues and the signs of our times. <laughs> like these are not just casual concerns. This is the battleground for souls in the day and age that we live in right now. So I want to pray for those that want to be more aware. I also want to pray um, for those that you just know in your heart this morning that maybe you're not quite aligned on this issue with the Spirit of God. Right? Like we have strong emotion, we have strong feeling, but it doesn't mean that it's right emotion, and it doesn't mean that it's right feeling. And I think it's a good thing to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I just want what you want. 
I don't want to be above and beyond that, and I don't want to be lacking behind that. I just want to be right where you are because I believe that where you are is the best place for these people to be reached. If I'm above and beyond, if I'm trailing behind, I can't, just, I can't be used the way that God would have me to be used. i got to be in step with him. So I want to pray for those groups of people. But first, I want you to watch this video. And I, and I think, I believe with all my heart that it will be an encouragement to you. So let me pray. Then the video will start. And then, like I said, you'll be released. And uh, if you want prayer, if you want just some time of worship, stay in here for a few minutes. I think it's worth letting uh, these seeds this morning uh, get watered a little bit before you leave. So, Lord, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that uh, you continue to open our eyes, Lord God. We thank you that uh, we're reminded that every person on this planet was fearfully and wonderfully made. They were created in your image, Lord God. The fall has been great, but it's been great for all of us, Lord. What we see uh, as sin and what we see as, as uh, a betrayal of your, your word and of your will, Lord, a lot of times is... is uh, is heightened because of our culture and where we come from, what we've experienced, and, and what, what uh, disgusts us, Lord God. But we know that all sin disgusts you, Lord, that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, Lord God. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that all we have to do is ask you to come into our lives and to forgive us of our sins, and we'd be washed clean, Lord. We pray for the washing of every sinner, Lord God not any one more or less than the other, Father God. Help us to understand what your will is in this world. Help us to understand in this season as we come upon Christmas, Lord God, that we're reading the signs of the times, not to be judges, Lord, who proclaim and condemn, condemn Lord God, but that we can see the ultimate signs that are drawing all people unto yourself. You say that if you be lifted up, you will draw all men unto yourself, Lord. We just want to lift you up this morning, Lord God. We ask for help, Lord. We ask for, we repent right now. If we've done things, if we've said things, if we've behaved in a way, if we've posted things, Lord God, if we've, if we, whatever we've done that was a disgrace to you and your love for people, Lord God, we apologize and we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. However you want to change us and shape us and mold us, Lord, we open ourselves up to you this morning, Lord God, that this wouldn't just be a one-off that we've heard and that we go back to our old ways, Lord. We pray that we would be forever changed, Lord, and continue to change in this area, Lord, till we come into perfect alignment with you, Lord. Have your way. We love you. We thank you. We want to be better lovers of people that we could love them into faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.